You're listening to a 7th edition Call of Cthulhu podcast titled Cthulhu in Cairo, brought to you by the Bardic College. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe to the show to receive notifications as our future episodes release. You can visit us on Facebook at the Bardic College. Viewer discretion is advised. Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to Cthulhu in Cairo. I'm Raz, and the whole team is here, which is phenomenal. They are aboard, as we probably remember from last time, the Drina, which is a ship that sailed out of Mombasa in Kenya and is on a 23-day voyage across the Indian Ocean, 6,500 and roughly 80 miles. Um, That's a long time. So we're going to be learning all kinds of things tonight about sea voyages and Ella and her need for talking to things that maybe she shouldn't and other things that have been brought up. So, But we'll get into that in a moment. How's everybody doing tonight? Jack, how are you? Feeling good, feeling spicy. Spicy, that's always a good one. And Vadim, how are you? I know Vadim's probably in a much different space than Jack seems to be. I'm cleaning my weapons. <laughs> that's, I, if that doesn't sum up Vadim right now, I don't know what does. I'm just prepping my weapons. And Catherine, how are you? Keeper, I I am just ducky. I'm ducky this evening. I Catherine brought a very large stack of gothic romance novels to read on her voyage and was also prepared to spend time looking after the crew. Mm-hmm. But apparently the keepers decided that we're all just going to have a, you know, a deep and meaningful and event sesh. No, I mean, it's so, uh, not from the answer that you gave me on when we were talking. And I said, you know, when I put this <laughs> out there to everybody on the chat today and said, what do you think about this? And you said, so if someone asks me a question, I could just say no. I mean, I think that sums up Catherine in a, in a nutshell, you know, listen, I'll contribute, but right. But no, yeah, I it's up to other people to decide at the end whether they liked that I contributed. Always a good sign. And Faye, how are you? I'm doing good. I don't think that for someone who really has a hard time sitting still, I think being cooped up on this boat for that many days is going to wear on Faye eventually. But you know what? I'm rolling with it. Maybe she'll be chill. Probably not. But we're going to go um, with it. Yeah. Uh, unless you have an an opioid addiction and or some other way to sleep it all through most of it oh, we do have Catherine. so yeah if, if you're just feeling a little jittery just have her whip you something up Catherine, juicy cocktail oh, a ross just get, can i get a, a ross, ross. <laughs> and ella how are you tonight uh you know i'm doing a little bit of cthulian water deity research and the best one i've got is kathat hmm He's the dark water god who is a formless elemental mass of shape-shifting liquid. I think we're fighting Cthulhu and you're going to talk to Cthot. I, hey, I'm just doing some research. That's as a like player. saying, hey, I'm going out on a date with James and then you end up talking to some guy named Jim. Okay? <laughs> like, that's... That's so this weird. Is a, this is an error. This is, this is a mistake. Analogy. And uh, I'm not happy. I mean, if it was first you cousin, you don't know Jimmy about Katha, do you? Probably not. Pray right. I don't find out. <laughs> it's going to be bad when the captain has to turn Catherine Ross over in cuffs for throwing someone over the board. <laughs> and, yeah. They're never going to catch her. Catherine will just keep throwing people overboard. She'll never go quietly. I'm right. a vampiric plague. And we're there. So, <laughs> all right. Well, crew, <laughs> cast, friends, here we go. Mubasa, the day you leave, no big deal. Everything's going extremely well. The uh, Drina and her crew are 
functioning well. You've been you've been given the tour, as I said, by uh, Runyon Partridge. He kind of brought everybody around. I believe Jack thought he was the the purser for a short period of time, but then that's he recognized, great. yeah, he recognized that the man was giving everybody else orders. And like, man, that's one powerful purser, or that maybe is the captain. So yes, it was the captain. And um, Runyon, he's he's very he's affable. He's a nice man. He, I mean, don't get me wrong. He's not out there, you know, asking everyone to dance and letting the lads make music with their mouth harps and little accordions. He runs a tight, a decent ship, but he's also understanding that these, the, you know, a voyage of twenty-something days across the Indian Ocean is, you know, it's it's a lot of downtime too. So he tr- you, you make busy work for the crew, and he tries to do things, by, you know, by the book. Day two, morning of the second of the second day of the leg of the journey. Um, who would like to give me a percentile roll on roll twenty? On roll twenty, well, to I see what the that. weather chart looks like. I will do it. Well, then you want, uh, you want Jack, two, two, correct? A D, D one hundred, yeah. Percentiles. Jack rolls a fifteen. Clear skies. Oh so, oh, thank God, Jesus, <laughs> guys, it's only a five percent chance that you're going to run into a okay, serious. Yeah, storm. and knowing us, that five percent chance is looming over us like a dark cyclone cloud. Okay. <laughs> yes, of course. Second day on the boat, you, um, yeah, there's a game. There's a small room with uh, probably about seventy or eighty books oh, most of them hardcover bound um there's a there's a chessboard there's also several decks of cards there's a card table which you know gets used by the officers occasionally in the evening when uh you know the men are get the ships just pretty much on autopilot going you know it's own about its own thing if anybody wants to be going you know milling about some people are working on languages i know Faye said she was thinking about starting to teach everyone arabic is that correct and Catherine, did you want to work on, were you thinking about maybe offering any additional insight into first aid or giving people Ooh. medical, you know, training or people that have like very low first aid? You probably have a better chance with them to get a yeah. better result. Um, Yeah, that'd be, that'd be great. It's um, up to you guys how I you can, want to spend the days. If I can divvy my like learning active brain time between, you know, medical stuff and Arabic, that'd be chill. Ella, and you were looking to do, I know you've been out on the deck a lot, right? Just kind of milling this thing <laughs> well, over. Let me, let me explain what she's please, oh, doing. Please. Ella's not fond of the ocean. She has issues with it, and especially boat trips, considering the last one she was on. So, she's going to be milling about, asking for advice about the sea from other sailors, spending time on the deck. Meditating, sitting on the prow. If there's a prow, I'm not entirely sure what the prow looks like. But yeah, she's usually by herself in contemplation. And also collecting sea creatures if they are fishermen casting nets no, it's, at any point. It, no, they're, they're making too much speed to be an actual, like, a fishing trolley. Um, that's not really their, their game, and they don't, they're not equipped for it. The deck's very high. It, it would be, it's not the right kind of ship to do that. It's, it's a cargo ship. It's a big cargo ship, so. Gotcha. That doesn't mean that, you know, they can't talk to you about different types of sea creatures or tell you things that you may want to be, in, you know, you may find interesting, but actually catching things for food and stuff, that's not really how the ship would work. Gotcha. Still, I'll talk to them about it. Make conversation. Yeah, All right. So several of the deckhands, Ella, you probably get in touch with uh, a, sooner than later and, and meet. There's a, a gentleman from somewhere in, you know, far east named Yu Chen. There's a gentleman that you believe is of Indian origin named Prakish. 
and another one you're not sure but could be new zealand could be new guinea uh his name is umbri and these guys are all about the same age right they they range anywhere from like 20 to like 30 um, they're deckhands. These are the guys. They're not even coal. Like they're just above a coal stoker. The coal stokers are the guys that are just workhorses, right? They work six hour shifts, then they're off for twelve, and they they rotate in and out, and um, they just shovel, just keep the steam rolling all day. Um, the the men that I was discussing with you, these are deckhands. They fill in with coal guys if someone fall gets injured or gets sick. They can they can swap in and out, uh, but they're really more about day to day functions. They're doing pipe maintenance. They're doing fittings. The other things that they can do around, they all have like different skills aboard ship, um, and they're meant to handle the cargo when they go to load and unload or keep it secure during a voyage. So it should, you know, they need things tied down or lashings get loose. So those are three men that you've already made contact with in the first, you know, two days of the journey. Mm-hmm. Okay. So as you're going forward, if you want to reach out and talk to them a little bit, that's fine. Uh, the rest of you working with, uh, we'll do the roles for the skill check. If anybody's actually sitting through. Phase Arabic studies, we'll do that at the end, or Catherine's medical. You're going to tell me at the end of it which you're going to focus on more, or you can actually tell me now. If it's going to be more on the language, then you're going to, you have a potential to go up 10%, and then your secondary would be 5%. So if you want more in the medical, you're st- spending more time with Catherine, you're, and then less time with Faye, that kind of thing. Because 12 hours of medical and Arabic is a lot for anyone to absorb. That's, that's, that's crunching every day. So that's a lot. So it's going to have to be, a, you know, you're focusing a little bit more studiously on one or the other. Vadim, are you interested in taking either one of those? Well, that's fine. Um, I had my uh, my plan to spend time on the, the ship working out my uh, my my demolitions plan, my mm-hmm. uh, my little uh, impromptu dynamite grenades. Right. So, so I, don't know if, I don't know if you're going to let me do that in addition to these other things. That's probably, I mean... I don't. I don't know if that's a twelve or eight hour day each day. I mean, it could be. I, I, um, no, why don't I, we do I, this? I wouldn't think so. But, right. Uh, so why don't we do that? That's your. That's your main. Well, I am. I am kind of. I am kind of like manufacturing. Like a. Like my idea is to first test my fusing to really get the timing down on the length. Okay. Particularly, that's not that difficult. Right. And then I want to. I want to make like uh, through some sort of coupling on the head of the uh, of the dynamite and mm-hmm. like an attached strike match or something like that something that is like a you know almost like a flare you know like when you when you rip the top off it automatically lights the fuse and then i know how much timing it'll be based on you know my practice with the fusing so that's kind of my idea okay so that's probably a lot of work yeah there's there's a little bit to it but yeah and then you know my supply of dynamite that's in my case i would want to go ahead and engineer all of that to to work on this so you um just a question You'd be messing with dynamite on a ship. I'm. I'm not going to be lighting dynamite. I'm going to be working with the fusing and such. The fuses aren't even attached to the dynamite, and the dynamite is stable. It's not. Uh, it, there's no. It's not old. There's no. Um, yeah, nitroglycerin. Or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Nitro- when dynamite starts sweating nitroglycerin, that's when it becomes unstable. But stable dynamite's not going to. You know, obviously, okay. the ship probably has dynamite on it somewhere. If that's going to be your main, then you can take one of the others as an alternate. As a five percenter, so which one would that would you prefer? Um, I'd probably lean towards the medicine. Okay, so bottom's going to be medicine, and so it's dynamite. Jack, or or would that be? Uh, let me just ask: Would that be able to be uh, first aid? Yeah, it'd be first aid. Perfect. I'm pretty good at that already. Jack, 
I was going to work with the repairman, remember, on ship to increase my mechanical. So that's going to be your main. So what's going to be your secondary? Secondary can be first aid with Catherine. That should be fun. Faye, I'm sensing that no one's coming to your Arabic class. I was about to say, Faye's just like sitting somewhere in, um, in a room, in, just like right. with her books, and she's just waiting. She's like, she's at the community library with her new class. Nobody shows up. Yeah. No. She's that professor, unfortunately. I'm going to come out to the deck and I'll be like, what the hell, people? What the hell? Just waiting for All right, two and hours. Catherine? I'm going to phase Arabic lesson. Thank Actually, you, Catherine. You're double booked. The health class and the Arabic class are at the same time block. Yeah, man. Sucks when that happens. Do so none do of you, have- you want to le- me to teach anyone Arabic? Am I going to be the only one that's communicating when we're in Egypt? Because I don't personally want to learn how to heal myself. I think what? all the curses are going to come your way, Faye. <laughs> They're already there. <laughs> Why would you not oh, Catherine, want help? Catherine, what would be your secondary choice? What do you, do you want to learn some more mechanical? Do you want to hang out with Jack a little bit? And I mean, if we're splitting these days up that this is things that are happening, how I, would you... I could, I could be teaching people how to use the, uh, the, the dynamite sticks. They've already... Uh, Jack it. Jack holds up a uh, holds up a chess piece. Catherine, we could see who's better at chess. I'll take Jack up on his offer for chess. Okay, so and Ella I, I figured that I've already written down things that I'd be doing. Actually, okay. Yeah. So on my list of things, lots of sleep because if any of you have ever taken a long <laughs> sea voyage without day for days on end, hello, I have. You sleep a lot, reading books, learning Arabic, helping the crew teaching first aid and playing chess yeah i think uh, like casual activities right we're all going to be doing that casual activity i'm not talking about casual yeah the casual activities are easy i'm talking about you know time that you want to invest in and that's fine in other things but if you because however you want to do it right now you're learning arabic it's you and Faye. yeah okay Faye, what is you're teaching arabic so that's your main obviously a teacher has to do that one and then what would yeah. your second be i guess since you know i'm already teaching Catherine. Um, I will uh, let her show me some more first aid. And Ella? Oh, I'm just You're busy with Arabic, what you're doing, right? But oh, Arabic and then your thing. Yeah, like whenever Faye has a moment to teach her, then she'll do it. But then usually she'll be up on deck. Okay. Pretty solitary existence right now for Ella. Okay, so somebody want to roll day three, please. Boom, 36. Clear skies. We're fine. So everything's still going well there. Day three is uh is in is coming up to a, a close. Uh the meals, like I said, um the chef Ogrenberg, Clem Ogrenberg, he's a, he's pretty good. I'm sorry, that's the chief. I'm sorry, the cook is Orlo Sebastini. Uh Orlo is a is a pretty good cook, the Greek man. Um he does know how to make stuff out of nothing. Eventually, eventually you start forming these patterns of movement. You know, lunch for the crew is at a, usually almost precisely at a certain time. Dinner is usually at a certain time. And you start making your, your biorhythms start adjusting, right? You start saying, okay, well, I'm an earlier riser. I'm up at six or seven. Vadim's working on dynamite already. This is going on over here. But you 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 find yourselves having these moments where you're you're bumping into each other or the moment when Faye and Catherine are together doing Arabic or, you know, Jack's working with the pipe fitting group and the mechanical. Whatever it is, you find yourselves having these interludes, these, these processes where you just human interaction, right? Three or four days into a journey, it starts, you know, it's a small ship. Big could buy, you know, 38,000 tons, but by normal standards, that's not by today's standards, that's small. It's not a big ship, but back then it was decent size. The first pairing that, that does come up 
let me get over to here for a minute, because I wanted certain things to happen for you guys, is Faye and Vodum. So Faye and Vodum are together, and it's probably late at, late later in the evening. I know Vodum, you, you know, Vodum's normally not a social drinker. Uh, I believe you had said it, Scott, but just, you he know. He is a social drinker. He's a social drinker only, right? Not a, not yeah. a hard drinker. So if uh, Faye poured him a, a scotch or something or everyone was kind of getting together and milling about, Faye, you, you kind of have Vadim alone for a few minutes and the need to talk, you know, that, that connection to people that we all look for occasionally, some more than others. Um, I won't name names, Jack. And then um, <laughs> as he goes, I'll kill you. For well, that. I never. I never. Uh, Faye, you, you have Vadim kind of to yourself for a few minutes, you know. Uh, Catherine and Ella are arm wrestling. Uh, that's going well. Catherine's taken on half the crew. She's already, you know, got a tattoo of an anchor that she oh drew on God. with an eyeliner or something. Um, but yeah, you have Vadim kind of to yourself for a, a few minutes. Is there anything you'd ever want to ask Vadim, talk to Vadim about? About his past, about where he grew up, about his wife? Anything? Yeah, I um I would want to know about what growing up was like because you know he's mentioned the farm and he's mentioned living in the country, but he never really went too much into it. So, so that's in character, yes. Yeah. Well, first, so if Autumn's sitting down, face sits next to him, and she hands him the drink, and then clinks them together like, "See, look, we're cheersing," and then she's just quiet for a moment, and then she just she just asks, you know. How you doing? I'm... I am alive. I understand. There have been days where I feel just alive. You're just kind of going through the motions and going through the day and... Yeah, I understand. I, I think you would. You have had, um... You have had much trial and difficulty. Loss of family. I know you have suffered all these things. I'm sure you know how I feel. Of course I do. I wanted to ask, I know everyone, you probably don't want to talk about what happened and I don't blame you. I wanted to know more about you. You've mentioned growing up on the farm, growing up in the country. That was way different from how I grew up. I just wanted to know what that was like. I would imagine uh, life on a... Life on a Russian farm is no different than life on an American farm or British farm or farm of anywhere. Maybe maybe grow a different thing, but life is same. You scratch dirt, you're up early, you work hard, you go to bed tired. You try to find few meaningful moments to uh, divide the time. But ultimately, it is a hard life. Yeah. Would you have... It's really different from what you do now for a living. Would you have inherited the farm, or did you just not want it? It is, uh, inherit is word for, for cities. It is the family farm. It is still there. If it is not occupied, if I show up, it will be occupied. It, it has been in my family for uh, longer than I know. This is how that works. There is no paper. There is no no inheritance, if that's what you say. It is discovery laugh land. Everybody knows it. Do you miss it? That way of life? All the time. 
the revolution changed much in Russia. It, uh, it made things impossible for some. I had um, no desire to necessarily do what I do, but after war, people were done fighting. All I knew was blood. I did not have it in me to return to the country. And there was much suffering in my people. And I had it in me to help them. You're good at that. Helping people. I mean, you helped us. We would have been toast without you. My my grandmother always told me that uh, life is not about things. It is not about what we do. It is not about what we have. It is not about possession. It is about family and friends and relationships and the people that we spend time with. As we go from point A to point B, as we go from birth to death, the only thing that marks that passage is the people that I spent it with. I will always try to do right by them. Faye is kind of quiet for a moment, just thinking about his words. Mm -hmm. She's just thinking about people in her past. She's thinking about her parents. Um, Everyone that she's on the team with, she's, you know, thinking about them and how happy she is to have them in her life. So she just kind of just reaches up and just squeezes Vodum like lightly on the shoulder as a way of saying like, you know, it's, you know, you're one of those people for me. And she just kind of is just quiet after that. You know, the Vodum speaks very slowly. It's a, it's a habit he's picked up measuring his words and making sure that they are carefully communicated. So after a, a time, he kind of looks at Faye and he says, um, may I in turn ask you personal, maybe hard question? Of course, I'm an open book. I, um, I know where I want to be at the end of days. I know, uh, I know where my path is, God willing, heading me back towards. You have suffered immense loss. All of your family. What do you um what do you envision for yourself when when this thing that we are embroiled in is over? What what drives you? What where do you see yourself when we are done? Where do you want to be? Faye's quiet for a minute. She's just kind of looking at the floor just thinking. Uh, She takes a long sip of her drink and she just starts with you know when I brought the girls back to New York and we went to my house one of the first things I wanted to do when I walked through that door was call for my dad because for a long time that's where I would go at the end of the day when I would come home from my trips after he retired always came home home was him and I don't have that anymore. The the home is still there and it's exactly how I remember it, but it just feels empty. You know, it's just, he's not there. And it was hard. She takes another sip of her drink and she just goes, I have been thinking a lot about what I want to do after this. I remembered back my mom's family banking family good money there was a summer house up in maine 
right on the shore. And it was small. It's just a bungalow. It's nothing big. But I always, whenever we visited there, when my grandparents were still alive and my mom was still alive, it just always seemed, it seemed like home. It was just the area was just warm and comforting to me. I think when I get back, I'm going to sell the house in Brooklyn, get rid of most of the things, keep only what's important to me, pack all of that up in the car and just go there, start over. I think that's the only thing I can do at this point. Put all of this forever behind you. No memories. New York's way too loud anyway. I never thought I'd say that. I mean, I grew up right there. You know, it's the noise is just, you become used to it. But when we were there last, I just couldn't, I couldn't help but focus on it. And it just felt like a very foreign place to me. I find cities provide lots of distraction when, when distraction is needed. It's sometimes comforting in and of itself. It's comforting being around a lot of people who don't know you. You can just sort of blend in. Face in the crowd. Absolutely. That, that is how I make a living. <laughs> you make a good living, too. Faye just kind of elbows Vodum like a yeah. nice little playful thing and goes back to her drink. Very nice. Okay. What a lovely conversation. What a lovely conversation. And nobody went to blows, which won't happen in the next couple. <laughs> So, so we'll take that roll for day four. Day four means that when we, they rolled a 74 on our weather chart, which is heavy rains. So the skies get a little dark. It's just, but it's heavy rains. It's not crazy stormy seas. It's just, um, you know, the sky kind of opens up. Captain says nothing to worry about. They've been, you know, they've got his, the the wound in his knee always lets him know when it's going to get really bad. And it's just a little achy right now (laughs) because... They don't have radar. So it's kind of like you just listen, you know, you stick your, th- your thumb and thumb out. You kind of get a gauge and the barometer watches. But he tells you not to worry. It's and again, it's not even chopping the ship around or knocking it about too bad. It's it's literally you can just get a slight sense of motion, but nothing that's making you want to toss your, your food or anything. Um, during a chess match that's going on later in the evening uh, as the rest of the team is been, you know, finishing up their. Uh, their, their alcohol, because ships and alcohol for for passengers tends to be a big thing. As as Catherine said, it does tend to put the people to sleep early. So dr- drinking booze on a on a on a on a boat is not uncommon. Um, but Catherine, it's you and Jack, and you know you're you're doing fine with chess. Let's let's see who won the first match a day ago. Catherine, Joel, go ahead and make me intelligence rolls, please. And we're looking for regular, hard, or critical successes. Whoever gets what. Intel. Jack with a 34. That is a hard success. I also rolled a 34, believe it or not. What's your top number, Joel, on Intel? My top is an 85. And Catherine, your Intel. Oh, Intel. 80. Oh, man. It was a very close match. No. Um, it's the better number. So Jack's 34 out of 85 is better than Catherine's 34 out of 80, correct? Yes, that would make sense. Clearly, though, so, we picked the right game. Yeah, it's definitely a, it, it was a tight match with like 
seven, three pieces on one side and five on the other. It was the first one went really, really tight. Catherine. Amazing. But you do find a moment where Jack's kind of Jack, you're a pipe smoker. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's he's smoking a pipe with his one hand, uh, with his hand in his head and uh, drinking some gin while he's uh, concentrating on the game and staring up at her with a wry smile every now and then. Do you offer her a pipe as well? A pouch of tobacco? Uh, absolutely not. A woman what, wouldn't, drink pipe, wouldn't smoke a pipe back then. Catherine Ross wouldn't smoke a pipe? Um, I, you're lucky pipe, she doesn't snatch it known, out of your... She like, have, been snatch <laughs> it off your lips and takes a drawer. So. I have I have cigarettes in my breast pocket. I could always I'll, offer her I'll cigarette. take a breast pocket cigarette. What are you, a fucking tobacconist? <laughs> He's a smoker. Back then it was, you know, many different forms. I have I have ciggies here, cigars in my ass pocket, yeah. and a pipe in my mouth. Yeah, if you, right. you know, if you have the time, you smoke the pipe. If you don't have the time, you smoke the cigarette. Right. It's it's all about it's all about what time of day. Right. Yeah, the pipe yeah. tastes better. The pipe tastes better because there's no paper. I see. And a cigar doesn't taste better, or that's just that's. Uh, it's a completely different cigar. Is a very strong, strong mm. taste. Yeah. Catherine, you want the cigar? I'm good on. I'm just good on cigarette. <laughs> We don't so need the, to be that butch. I'm not. Listen, cigars. It is what it is. So yeah, you, Jack. You, and there's this old heavy lighters, right? Back in the 1930s and 40s, they had these uh, these lighters that weighed like 26 pounds of oh, just, yeah. especially on ships because they didn't want them sliding around. There's fuel inside, and they just kind of sit there, and it's like this big chunk of just rock with a with a flint and a you know a, a little head to spin it like a Zippo, but it, you know that the different type. And, you know, you light each other's, Jack lights your cigarette. But, Catherine, you find yourself in a in a chatty mood, which is really uncommon. And uh, is there anything you've wanted to ask Jack? Yeah, actually. Please do. So we're having a smoke, a drink, we're playing chess. And she advances a pawn cautiously. It's one square on a pawn, not two. So she moves a pawn. What moment actually i'm i started this weird uh why are you did you here? did you do that in character <laughs> yeah. i moved my pawn one space i started this weird <laughs> let me <laughs> no it's it's yeah, fine yeah, you can move well, the pawn either direction no i i know how i can move the pawn i meant the statement i know what you meant oh. why are you here man why am I here? Do you mean the larger here? Do you mean the smaller here? Which To which here I, are you referring, dear Kate? At what moment in the grand scheme of things from, oh, I must, I'm, I'm here to hunt the bear. And now we're, you know, on a boat heading to Australia. At well, what point? At, when'd you hitch your wagon to my wagon? I suppose... I could be glib, and I can give you the quick answer that I, it all started because I went to hunt the bear, but the answers are usually quite less fun, I suppose. Um, the same reason I went to hunt the bear and found myself globetrotting was probably the same reason that I chose to leave Kubawazi and go to Australia and hook my wagon, as you put it. What a very quaint American term. I I'm grew up and quaint terms in, are all the American I got left. I grew up in a very cold environment uh, as a as a boy. My mother abandoned us uh, 
I'm not really sure of the circumstances. My father has never been very straightforward with how that happened. He was quite hard to impress and to make happy as a child. I did excel in many things, but sometimes not the things he wanted. He idly fidgets. His arms rolled up because we're at sea and it's probably warm. And you notice on his right arm, he has a massive scar all the way from his elbow right to his hand. And he's like absentmindedly sort of running his hand over it as he talks. He says, there are many things that happen in your childhood that you would change. And because you can't change them, you make alterations and go in other directions. And so as much as I love Kubawazi, I have always been drawn away from it. And so I suppose, maybe in a childlike fashion, I was somewhat drawn to the excitement of that man on the train and the unexpected turn things had taken and the adventure of the craziness that we encountered, good eyes notwithstanding. And it is a wonderful distraction from the things that I have not dealt with yet in my own private life. She taps her glass against his. We have a lot in common. Oh, you had a father that threw you from a moving jeep as well? Not a moving jeep. It could be. We're talking about. Yeah, I'm. I. She acknowledges her own arm in the place where his scar is. Is that what that is? Oh, no, that is, uh, well, I jokingly alluded to being thrown from a Jeep. We were trying, when I was in my early 20s, We, my father had taken on jobs getting wild animals for zoos in different countries. America is very fond of African animals. And uh, we were trying to bring in a black rhino. And um, rhinos, I don't know if you're aware, are quite dangerous. And Pointy. my father thought that I was not being quite forward enough in helping to catch the rhino. And so he helped me over the side of the Jeep and the rhino uh, pinned me with its horn against the Jeep and then proceeded to slash all the way down my arm, uh, to which my father's reply was something to the extent of, and now you know better. Well then. Yes, there's more to everyone than tea and smiles, unfortunately. But I can tell that by the way you talk and the things you don't talk about, that you have seen many things beyond this little cadre of people and this craziness. And I am yeah. sorry for some of the things that you have gone through, and I can tell that they have caused you pain. I've yes. I always had a question I wanted to ask you, and I'm, I'm not sure if I should. Perhaps if I do, you could put me in my place, as you are good at doing. And then I won't ask again, but we are both expatriates, as it were, from our origin countries. You from America and I from Great Britain. And I've always wondered why. Why you would leave America that everyone talks about in such wondrous ways. And the Americans that I have met had talked about what an amazing world it was and so much freer than England and its repressed people ever be. Why would you leave that world to go to Old Blighty? Um, listeners, I have never talked about this directly on the podcast, I don't think. <laughs> so let's dive in. The reason I left America, it's um 
probably going to sound trivial to to you after you told me that your father just threw you from a moving jeep and you were accosted by a rhino. I you've heard stories about my eccentric uncle. Yes, uh, yes, he he okay. he's the one thing I would like to see in England again. He seems quite a chap. You two would get along famously. Um I'm sure. Just complete eccentric. He collects taxidermy penguins and cult memberships. <laughs> that is quite a pairing, I must say. Yes. At least quite, a dozen taxidermy trumps. penguins. It's uh, but my eccentric uncle has an eccentric sister, my mom, Margaret. I don't like Margaret very much, and Margaret doesn't like me. She wasn't made for being a mother, and my dad, also a medical man, went to England on a holiday and met this wealthy, old money, eccentric British woman, and she fell in love with a new money. American doctor and thought it would be glamorous to go and live in New York, but when your family owns estate homes and you move to America and your husband's a doctor, it's not the same. So she resented him and then resented me. Some people shouldn't be fathers. Some people shouldn't be moms. And I regret what I did to my to my parents, but I lied. I wrote a letter to my uncle and to my grandmother explaining how terribly I was being treated and how much I hated them and they were cruel and that I I wasn't like I couldn't leave the house and she wanted me to marry too young and a hundred things. I was 14 years old and I stole a hundred pounds from my parents and put myself on a ship to England two days after I sent the letter. So the letter arrived practically with me on their doorstep and they had, and my British relatives had no choice but to take me in assuming that I was being incredibly mistreated at home when in actuality, now that I'm older, I just didn't get along with my mom. And I ran away from home and I've never spoken to them since. Well, that's, that's something. And how long ago was that? 21 years. In those 21 years, have you wished that you have spoken to them? Or have you been tempted to? I wrote a letter that I didn't send before I was to be shipped out. I, You know that I served in the war. I, I was in, You know I served in the medical corps. Yes. Well, I wrote a letter. Yes, yeah. it was a bold choice. I applaud um, you. Thank you. I had to do something what was i supposed to do i wasn't made to yes my aunt and uncle are in society but i'm not meant to sit around at like a tea party and you know raise money pin feathers on cowards no i wanted to go do something so i did i i was trained to do something and i i wrote a letter and i meant to send it and i didn't i i i wrote one finally a few weeks ago and had it posted, but who knows what the reply would be. Well, perhaps it will have more strength now these years past than it would have had back then. Maybe. Time and distance being what it was. You may find it interesting to note that 
the interaction that I had with my father not long before you arrived were the first that I had had in well over three years. And that one of us on either end had made our own ways not to be at home so as to not deal with our own problems. And he lifts his glass up, takes a sip of it, leans it forward and says, I suppose we can't choose our mothers and our fathers, but we can choose traveling companions and friends. And he raises a glass towards her. Clinky, clinky, clinky. Yeah, clinky, clinky. All right. That was touching. Yeah, very interesting. The uh, That night goes by. We're going into the fifth and sixth day of the cruise. Um, it's getting late on the sixth day. Let me have a, someone want to do a weather roll. We'll skip day five. It'll just say that was the rains finishing up. Talk about the, the boat a little bit. Who wants to give me one for day six? Talk about what we have going on. Because sometimes the weather may affect conversation. You don't know. 55. 55 is clear skies, windy, and some swells. So a little bit more choppy even than during the heavy rain the other night. Just That was just coming down in buckets, but the wet, the the tides weren't like crashing into the side. This is just, it's just a lot of wind and it's just causing some white caps, you know, as you're, as you're going out across the ocean, you're just getting a little bit of swells here and there. Vodum, it's about 11 o'clock, maybe even almost midnight on the sixth day going towards the seventh. And um, you've been having some problems sleeping. You know, it's, it, it happens sometimes. Most people tend to sleep on boats, but with all the emotional trauma and the things that you've been through, uh, it's understandable that you would probably have sleep some sleepless evenings where you just dreams just become a place where you don't find good rest until your brain can sort of settle down. And um, you're walking the deck and, you know, there's one or two people out on just walking about. Some of the crew are up there. One of them is just checking on lashings, like I said, because of the wind. They're just making sure the tarps are all down. And you see one figure standing on the side. And this person has been out here more than Anybody else that you can think of uh, in your in your team in the uh, of your party, and it's it's Ella. And again, she's just looking out over the side, and it, it it's almost in this light. The deck lights on the boat, on the ship, and the fact that you know there is some moonlight out there from the half moon. Um, that she just seems to be looking into the water, looking for something maybe, or just such deep thought, but. You know, it's it's become obvious that this is she's been up here a bit. You just have this moment. Is there anything that Vadim would approach Ella about or want to talk to Ella in regards to what's going on or what she's thinking or? Hmm. Well, I think uh, I think that he um, he can be out enough outside of himself that and and he has an appreciation for Ella. Ella has has helped him with difficult things using her special abilities and he remembers that um it looks maybe like she's troubled could be i'd say that you're on the right track (laughs) he uh in his way um as he can be quiet and unheard he um he walks up next to her and she's standing at the like the rail side of the ship, mm-hmm. and uh, just puts his hands on the rails and looks out into the water. Just stands there next to her, you know, looking for a sign that she recognizes that he's there, or um, you know, if she 
says anything. He has enough respect for Ella and her unknown abilities to him, completely foreign, that I think he kind of keeps her at arm's length. So he would walk up to see if uh, if if she is in need, but he would let her make the you know the first contact, so to speak. Well, bottom, that's gonna take like at least a minute, if not more, because she's so lost in her crazy crazy flighty brain but inevitably Mm -hmm. she is still staring at the wake that the boat is leaving as you're sailing onward like the white what do they call those the white yeah the white caps yeah the the wake the wake of the boat yeah yeah and she'd say do you know how many water gods that are in existence new aegean nodens Davy Jones, preferably for the Europeans. Njord, Menon MacLear, that one I learned when I was uh, back in Scotland. And uh, Poseidon is usually the one everyone goes to, but so many names they go by. And yet, truly, no one knows what they're actually thinking down there. It, um, it is a mysterious depth, for sure. I don't think I have ever thought about gods when I have looked into the depths of water, but it um, it has always been entrancing to uh, to look into the depths and you know, feels like you are uh, seeing deeper than you are, but maybe you're not seeing deep at all. It's just a lure, uh, like like you want to jump in. Have you ever felt that that you just want to jump into the water? Not really. Not since. It was a long time ago, but water and me have a very animosity. What's the word I'm looking for? Animosistic? We have a very difficult relationship, but... uh, You are not friends. (laughs) Well, when you get stranded on an island and then are lost at sea, it's kind of a traumatizing event, yes. But... It's one of the final frontiers that mankind does not fully understand. This, uh, this is a strange water. This boat is plying. It is, uh, it is not like waters I have seen on the Black Sea or the Mediterranean. There is a deep sapphire blue or emerald green seems to go on forever. This looks murky, brown. It is different. Have you come to wonder why I'm up here? You just looked like you, uh, maybe needed some company. I've just been pondering something, something we should be considering before reaching the shores of our destination, but... Vadim, <sighs> we've been in each other's company for some time, and I'm difficult to speak with. You know this. I can go off on tangents because my mind's in a thousand different places because I hear so many different things, voices or memories, images. I, I can't keep some of them straight. And I tend to push people away, like Catherine. Faye has wanted to probably distance herself from me as well. Jack, I don't think he knows what to make of me entirely. And, well, I keep thinking that I'm trying to help, but it feels like these gifts, these thoughts only hurt people. But 
I don't know how to approach what I need to tell them without possibly earning their ire for all the mistakes and missteps I've made since we've met. Who have you hurt? To my knowledge, the only people you have hurt are our enemies. I do not think that is a transgression. I saw your children, the ones that you never got to meet. That hurt you? Knowledge can be hurt, sure, but it is it is never a bad thing. I am I am thankful for that knowledge. I am blessed to know that there are other souls in the world that uh, somehow are connected to mine. I saw what happened with Faye's mother, or at least a possibility of it that is unfortunate and unpleasant, but... Nothing you caused. You looked through a window. Tell that to the people who deny my gift as being benevolent. I do not see your gift as good or bad. It just is. Astute way of putting it. Ella, we... We, uh... And, and, and trust me, I, I am not uh, the best man to speak of such things, but as I have seen, we are on uh, a task to deal with unworldly things. In my mind, none of us are more prepared than you. This group is, this group is lucky to have you with them. I cannot imagine going forward without you. But that's exactly what I need to tell them. We are woefully underprepared for what we are about to face. This is... We've been acting as if the ritual in Shutaway, Chakotal, Eowas, the Dark One, is a million miles away, and we deal with things as they come, but every single ambush, every single object, we don't know how to handle it. We don't know what we're being asked to sacrifice for it. We've lost friends, and you faced great pain because of this task, this journey. And I need to explain. And she starts walking away from the railing. It's like pacing. She's like throws herself basically off the railing with a jerk of her hands. I need to. Ex- I need to say without making it sound frightening, or or confusing, that the only thing I'm sure of is that we need more help from the spiritual, from the phenomenal parts of the world. Because there is power that is used for good, Vadim. I've seen it. And I have seen the dark sides, and I know how dangerous they are, which is why I want to stop this thing from breaking free. But I can't, for the life of me, figure out how to talk to some of these people and explain that I don't I don't want to play with the darks. I want to... I want to protect all of you from being abused because this thing, it erased us and that chills me, Bottom, It erased our existence for days. If it can do that, what will it do when it breaks free? Can I ask you two questions? She nods and gestures with her hand to continue. Are you afraid of death? Not so much the dying, so much as... Where my soul will end up. Will it be in the hands of something I can't control, or can it just enter blissfully into the ether, or the universe, whatever you call it? But dying does not frighten me so much as where you go afterwards. I believe all of us need to 
feel those same thoughts. I believe all of us should accept the fact that there is a strong possibility our journey is one way only. My my second question, Ella, we're, we're gathering these these items, these items of power, as, as you have called them. Are they not there for us to use once we gather them together? Is this not a weapon? I, I, forgive me, I am, I am, I am ignorant when it comes to such things, but I assumed this was a race to make weapon, to fight these things with. The items of power thin the veil. They create a focal point between our realm, the physical plane, flesh and blood, mortality, to a place where gods, old creatures that were lingering in the depths of the world long before humanity was even a blip of interest on a creator's existence. It can close it as well as vastly open a, sh- a, a sliver for it to get through, but at the same time, if, if we don't use them properly, if we enact the wrong names, perform the binding ritual incorrectly even by a fraction, if we don't study them, and its evils or how it may tempt us or change us, then we may be doing far more damage than we hope to intend. Um, out of character. Uh, I, to my knowledge, the first we've actually talked about what the items of power do when they're all together. Correct. So it was Ella, Ella knows on. what the items do. Ella is aware that from Blavatsky's prophecy, she has enough understanding when the girls, when the team explained to her, you know, after Aveline passed, what they were looking for. And Ella so they're, is... They're a conduit then. They're not necessarily a weapon. The only way to the only way to permanently destroy Shakulta is to bring him where he could be destroyed. Gotcha. Right. You can't kill him in the cosmos. That's his. That's that's him. That's where he's okay. from. Yeah. So she knows that it thins the veil. But if the ritual is done in a certain way, it damages him and puts him, you know, where he could be killed. The other way, it opens the door and everything comes flooding in. That's so what I, she's, okay. I'm saying. Okay. I'm saying it correctly. Yep. I'm not misrepresenting yep. it. No, no, you're doing okay. it right. I just wanted. I just wanted to understand. Yep. All right. Back in back in character. Of course. I, uh, <laughs> I, I do not pretend to fully understand what you are explaining to me, uh, and and I will leave it up to your opinion. If you need uh, lock picked, you ask for them. <laughs> if you need uh, sneaking through uh, through dark spaces, or perhaps a knife placed in between two certain ribs, you ask for them. If you need uh, magical items to uh, to to destroy dark gods, I think you ask Ella. So I will trust what you have say about that. But what I am hearing is you are not sure whether these are things that we should use or not. It's not a matter of if I'm sure we should be using them. It's it's been a race against time. Time the which is clearly slipping away. If we were left so defenseless during the plane. I still have nightmares about what happened to Mr. Allard because, quite frankly, it was not because I was growing fond of him. It was because there was nothing any of us could have done. He's just, he's clearly more powerful than anything I've ever encountered, and he hasn't even emerged yet. But 
I have ideas. I have thoughts about where we could go, who we should seek, how we should handle these objects, and then when we get there, how we use them is going to be critical to its demise. But I cannot say these things because sometimes our group misinterprets my actions and I I do not wish to frighten them. I just don't know how else I'm supposed to say it. I have a my brain is something broke in it a long time ago and I cannot just say things the right way. So there there you go, Vadam. That is what makes me so frightened. That is what makes me wonder if water is safe, if the land is safe, if anything in this world is safe, if I cannot explain to the people that I have been destined to endure this task with, if they cannot understand me, how am I supposed to make them understand it? Where we're going, what we're supposed to be doing. Let me, I, may I offer you two pieces of advice? Please. Any task that is embarked upon is set for two possible outcomes, failure or success. It is in the preparation that you are generally able to secure the success. It is in how you approach that task. And what I have found is being confident and sure of the decision that you have made weighs much in whether you are successful or not. I think you need to come to terms with what you think is the right thing to do then I think you need to stop questioning yourself and do it. My other piece of advice is we have many passionate people in this group. They are all good people. You, Jock, Faye, Catherine, the best people. Keeper, not so much. Oh, ouch! <laughs> the shade. I know you have tough time communicating, and I know that uh, sometimes... There are some who are uncomfortable. You just need to keep trying. And understand that in the end, we are all trying to do the good, the same thing. We are all trying to, to change the world. It's better we do it together. And that includes you. She's losing some of the misery that's been etched on her face. And she's nodding and looks him dead in the eye and go, Is... Catherine doing her healing lesson with Jack and Faye right now? I believe she has started. Uh, well, no. It is middle of night. I could not sleep, oh. right, Keeper? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. If she is, it's over a very large scotch. And then you kind of <laughs> wind it around their head. And it's a spinal, you don't... Well, you can move them, I guess. It's just... It's just remember, way- scotch is a pain reliever. Yeah. <laughs> If you're gonna move a spinal, if you're moving a spinal, one, apologize. Two, make your subordinates sign the paperwork order. Catherine, I don't know if this sounds that safe. The medical miracle of scotch. I'm gonna say three, pour a large scotch and drink yes. Um Three fingers should do it. Someone else to sign off on it. Apologize. Big old scotch. So she, uh, anyway, back to what Ella's doing, it's like, Bottom, if you and I could gather the troops, so to speak, I need, I need to talk about this tomorrow. I, 
There can be no waiting. I have an idea. I look forward to hearing more. And, um, know that you would have my full support. Thank you. And I'm glad that you're here. You may not think you have a lot to offer in the ways of the mystics, but believing in it, believing in me, that is more than most people that I've met. Good night, Ella. Good night. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cthulhu in Cairo. You can like, share, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. The music you're listening to is Return of the Mummy by the great Kevin McLeod. Join us next time to see where our intrepid explorers find themselves next.